we're continuing our series uh, that's called Underrated. And just as a reminder, what under, this Underrated series is all about is exploring some parts of being a follower of Jesus Christ that we underrate in its importance of allowing us to have a deeper expression, a deeper experience of who God is and how He changes us in our life. You know, today, I really want to focus on how God's Spirit sometimes leads us and places us in situations that makes us uncomfortable in following after Him. And sometimes we underrate that. We just feel like we don't want to be uncomfortable. And we try to do our very best to avoid anything that causes us to be uncomfortable. But when we do that, we underrate the importance that those moments can be in allowing us to experience God in a deeper, more intimate way. So today's passage that we'll be reading together, it come, it's taken from the Gospel of Mark. And before we go in into reading it together, I want to share some theories that people have. It's sometimes better to know the background or the context of the author who wrote this gospel. And in this context, it's Mark that wrote this gospel. You know, the most defining feature that we find in Mark or the person of Mark is that he really didn't like to be uncomfortable. That's what we find as a defining. He really didn't like to be uncomfortable. Well, how do we know this? Well, when you look at certain scholars, people have come up, uh, scholars have come up with certain theories that when they read through the Gospel of Mark, they have an assumption that Mark actually added himself in into the Gospel and described his own story in a third-person way. So he doesn't explicitly say, this is me, but a lot of scholars believe that he is pointing to himself through these stories. Well, how do we know this, and why do some scholars believe this? Well, do you guys remember the story of the rich young ruler? The guy who comes up to Jesus, and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, you know the commandments, and he goes through the commandments, um, the last six commandments, and uh, this rich young ruler is ecstatic and say, I've been keeping all of these since I was a kid. And then Jesus says to him, but one thing you lack, go sell everything that you have and then come follow me. And the story ends by saying the rich man walked away sad. He didn't do it. He walked away sad because he was a person of great wealth. Well, scholars believe that this story was actually Mark's story. Because when you look at the other accounts that's found in Matthew and also found in Luke, Mark adds an additional detail in this story that's not found in any other story. In Mark chapter 10, verse 21, as he's relating the story of the rich young ruler, he adds this very specific and important detail. It says, before Jesus answered him, it said that Jesus looked at him, and loved him. Mark has, if this was indeed Mark, Mark has this intimate knowledge because if he really was a rich young ruler that came up to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He, the only way that he would know is he would have to have intimate knowledge of this rich young ruler. And if it was indeed him, he saw Jesus looking straight into his eyes 
and, and knew that what Jesus was about to say, it came from a position of love. It didn't come from a position of knocking him down saying, you know, all you care about is money or I can't stand you. You're such a greedy person. It says it came from a position of love. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And then he said, go sell everything and then come follow me. You know, we also see another, um, another account of what seems to be a rich young person. Uh, that Mark describes in his Gospels that we don't see in any of the other Gospels. It happens in Mark chapter 14, verse 51 to 52, when the people came, the soldiers and and, um, religious leaders came to arrest Jesus. There's this one scene in there where where there's an appearance of this young man, he says, wearing nothing but a linen garment. Now, at that time, only rich people could afford linen garments to wear when they were sleeping. And so this person, by mentioning he's wearing nothing but a linen garment, uh, means that he was actually a rich person. And again, because there's no other mention of this young man following in this uh, in this linen garment, in any of the other Gospels, scholars again saying uh, believe that Mark put his own story in there to show what he was doing during this time, that he was curious. And he didn't like the fact that they came to arrest Jesus. And so he follows at a distance, wanting to follow this Christ. But as soon as they see him and they try to grab him, he gets scared. And he runs away, leaving his ripped garment behind. We also see another example of Mark being uncomfortable. And it comes in Acts chapter 15, verse 38. In it, Mark wanted to follow Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journeys. And he starts with them on their first journey out. But in the middle of it, when they were in Pamphylia, as he was going on this missionary journey, for whatever reason, he decides to quit. He says, it's too much. It's, it's asking too much of me. And he doesn't want to continue in that work. It's too uncomfortable. You see, we see major moments in Mark's life where he wants to follow Jesus, but always seems to fall short when things go beyond his comfort zone. He he comes to Jesus because he feels like something's missing in his life. Despite being rich and despite having power, despite everything else going well for him, there's something that's missing. Yet every time he tries, to fulfill that by following Jesus. It makes him uncomfortable. And he ends up resisting. So these are the characteristics that we see in the three passages that I mentioned above. Mark finds himself walking away because he's not comfortable with losing money. Mark finds himself running away because he's not comfortable with the idea of suffering. Mark finds himself giving up because he's not comfortable with the idea of sacrificing beyond a certain limit. I'm sure each and every one of us can relate with Mark in some way in our own journey of faith. Following Jesus isn't comfortable at certain times. 
Uh, some of those things of what makes us uncomfortable, what is our discomfort in following Jesus, we all have one, and we can all relate to that in some kind of way. This is why I think that Mark is so relatable, because he seems so much just like each and every one of us. You see, when we look at Mark's life, he was bound by the chain of wealth and the chain of comfort. Uh, But he knew that despite his desire to hold on to his wealth and to be comfortable with his life, he knew that something was still missing in his life. Even though things were comfortable, things were probably what he expected to be as good as they could be. When he had all the wealth, he was uh, being a moral person, and as he approaches Jesus, that question that he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Something is stirring within his heart. Having everything and being a good churchgoer, he still feels that something was missing. And a lot of times in our life, we feel the same kind of uh, thing uh, for ourselves too. That despite the comfort that we seek, we can be at the height of our comfort. We can be at this vacation that we have longed for and we're just like lying on the beach saying, oh, this is a life, you know, free food for me to like eat all the time and just this peace and this awesome scenery around me. But there's this kind of like itch, this kind of question that creeps up and into our hearts and to our minds, and it asks the same question, but are we really satisfied? Is this really life-giving? It's not as good as we thought that it would be. You see, for Mark, he wasn't satisfied despite his good life. He felt something was missing in his life. And this is why we see him continually pursuing Jesus in those three instances. Like every time he walked away, he can't stay with his wealth forever. He comes back and he says, you know, this Jesus, there's something about him. And he even tries to put his life on the line by following him when he's arrested. But then he runs away again saying, but I don't like that discomfort of of, of suffering and thinking about maybe I'll suffer with Jesus. But then again, when, uh, when Barnabas and Mark begin to go on a missionary journey, he says, I want in too. I want to be a part of that as well. And so he joins them because they're something that he's longing for but in the middle of it he doesn't like the discomfort of the sacrifice it's more than what I thought that I had to sacrifice and it's getting so much more harder than what I'm able to endure and so he skips out but the thing is he keeps coming back you know despite Mark's failures His failures not only affected him, but it also disappointed and it hurt the people around him. But despite this initial story about Mark that we see, we do know that at some point, somewhere in his life, things turned around for Mark. How do we know this? Because after Paul gets so angry with Barnabas and says to him, Barnabas, I know that you want to take Mark again on our second journey, but because he skipped out on that first one, there's no way I'm ever taking Mark again. So don't even bring that up. And they actually separate because of this disagreement. Paul is so upset with Mark and wants nothing to do with Mark. But then later on in 2 Timothy verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 11, We see Paul saying this in in Paul's aloneness when he's in prison. He mentions this to Timothy. He says, only Luke 
is with me. And so when you come and visit me, Timothy, he says, also, can you bring Mark? And the reason why he says bring Mark with you is because of this. He says in his words, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. At some point, something changed in Mark. That endless cycle that he was doing of trying to follow Jesus, but then skipping out right at the moment of discomfort. At some point, that cycle ended. And he began to pursue. He began to serve. He began to stay in it. And it caught Paul's attention. And Paul says, that Mark guy, can you bring him? He's such an encouragement to me. This Mark, who was known as a comfort seeker, who was known as a deserter, was changed. And he even wrote this gospel and recorded the story we're about to read together from a particular insight that he has of what it feels like to be changed by an encounter with Jesus. See, he talks about this story, as we're going to read into it, about this demon-possessed man. And he is set free from these, uh, from, uh, these chains in his life. And sometimes it feels the same for us, that we're trying to follow Jesus, but it feels like there's something holding us back. These chains that we can't be released from. Mark knows what that feels like. He knows this endless cycle of trying over and over and over again and always those chains winning. Always those chains holding us back every time. Mark understands that. And this is why when he shares this story, he's able to share it with particular insight and connection with the demon-possessed man. In this story, Mark uh, shares just how far Jesus will go to restore hope to the hopeless and to do what no other power, no other person can do for us and to truly set us free. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Mark. The Gospel of Mark, we're going to begin at chapter 5, verse 1, and we're going to read through 20. So Mark chapter 5, verse 1 through 20, I'll be reading from the NIV. It reads this. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart. And broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell, at his, fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. When Jesus asked him, What is your name? Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. 
A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the men who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed men and told them about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had has mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Father, as we continue through your gospel and this insight that Mark brings into this story, I pray, Father, that you will reveal more of yourself to us. May we hear, Father, with ears. May we hear with our spirit. May you open up every every barrier, every challenge that keeps us, Father Lord, from knowing the truth of your word from knowing the power of your spirit. And I ask today, may you penetrate through so we too, Father, may experience being set free to go beyond our comfort zones, to not allow that comfort to hold us back, to bind us from experiencing you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You see, in verse 20, We learned that Jesus goes to this region called the Gerasenes, where the Decapolis is situated. Now, um, you probably don't know um, what that was. I I didn't know. I had to look it up. But the Decapolis, just as its name suggests, was a place of 10 cities. So it was a region that had 10 cities in it. And this place was no place for a holy man like Jesus. It was actually known in that ancient Near East world as a very dark and a sinful place. It was like the New Testament version of Sodom and Gomorrah of what we see in the Old Testament. Its reputation was notorious for sinful behavior, one of the darkest sinful behaviors that you could see in that New Testament time. So if the New Testament was actually written in today's time. It'd be like saying that, and then Jesus went to the region of the Gerasenes and into Amsterdam, the red light district, right? It'd be that kind of similar theme that what's Jesus doing at the red light district? It doesn't make sense. He doesn't belong there. The details get even more uncomfortable. Mark writes that in this particular red light district, He is approached by a man that has evil spirits, not just one, but thousands of spirits within him. 
Now, the people of the town, they're actually, they don't like him. And what they do is they try to tie him up and keep him away from the rest of the people. Now, this is significant because in a city that's filled with sin, in a city that's filled with really dark-hearted, dark-minded people, it shows that even those people, the level of evil that this man had, the level, the level of craziness, the level of violence that this man had was so much that even people of this dark place couldn't handle it. So he was like the dark of the dark. And so they kept him in irons. They kept him bound and he kept breaking them cutting himself, and they kept putting him in bondage not to interfere with their everyday life. Mark knew what that kind of bondage would feel like. This man wanted change. And I think this is part of the reason why we see himself cutting himself with stones. He hates who has become this spiritual force that keeps him bound in that kind of way that holds him back from being changed. It's irritating him. He doesn't know what to do. He hates himself, but at the same time, he wants to live. He's hurting himself because at the same time, he wants his stuff gone, but he can't do anything to release himself. And so he breaks the chains, maybe symbolically to show that I'm breaking free from this kind of thing. But that, that spiritual whatever that's around him, it keeps holding him back. He feels that it's hopeless. He cannot change. And then this is what happens. Jesus suddenly shows up. And rather than being relieved, he is now more furious. He is uncontrollably raging and upset. People had already dismissed him and he knew what this dismissal felt like. But having a holy man, a righteous person show up where he is at, it enraged him. And I think I know why. Have any of you, you guys been caught in something, a failure or a disappointment or even like we'll just say your own mistakes that you made and you're embarrassed by it, you're shamed by it and you know that other people are talking about it, other people are around you are kind of like whispering behind your back and you know it as well. You feel so insecure because of that and when you're in that kind of dark space and that dark place and you don't like yourself, when someone who appears righteous when someone who appears more successful in that area where you failed but they succeeded, when someone seems to have something that you've longed for but what you don't have and they come into your presence, have you ever felt that kind of tinge of rage? You don't know where it really comes from but you just hate seeing that person because they represent everything that you are not, that you somehow cannot have. I think this is why this demon-possessed man, as soon as Jesus shows up, is enraged. And he's so angry because he's in a rut. And the presence of this Holy One makes him feel even more shamed. So he screams at Jesus, what do you want with me? What, you came here to condemn me more? 
You came here to, to say, see, this is what you get for your failures, right? Because that's all you are. Is that why you came, Jesus, to tell me something that I already know and I can't already change? Is that why you're here? Because I can't take any more of it. But only someone like Mark knows intimately why Jesus shows up. Because in his own disposition, when he came to Jesus saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And despite his own darkness and his own hold of money, and wanting that and not being able to free himself from that, it says that Jesus still looked at him, saw through that addiction that Mark had, that weakness, that darkness. He still saw through that, looked at Mark right into his soul. And he says he loved him. And I think that's what Mark's trying to bring out here too, is that this demon-possessed man, what do you want with me? And I can picture Mark thinking that Jesus probably looked at this demon-possessed man right in the eyes in the same way. And his motivation of why he is there, what he wants to do with this man is because Jesus loves him. And I think that's what the demons saw when they said, wow, you love this guy so much and we can sense you're going to do something to us. You're going to throw us out. You're going to destroy us so that you can restore this man. And so this is why these demons cry out and just say, don't destroy us. Cast us in into the pigs instead. At least we have somewhere to go. Because that's what Christ's love does in freeing this person. Jesus does for him what no other power, no other person can do. Frees him from his sinful nature. You see, only love can do that. It goes in into our darkest spaces, our dirtiest places, our worst habits. And it heals us. And it gives no judgment. And it demands no payment. Just because he loves us. Now notice verse 15. In verse 15, it says that when people came to see what was happening to this whole situation, they saw the possessed man dressed now and in his right mind. And Mark makes this interesting observation. He says, then the people were, and it says, afraid. They were afraid, and then they do the unthinkable. They say, can you leave? They tell Jesus to leave. That's for me, when I read that, that's such a funny and peculiar reaction that you think that you're getting from people. You think that they'd be grateful. They say, Jesus, oh my goodness, he was such a bane to our existence. So thank you so much. We're all afraid to go near him, especially because he's in the tomb area and stuff. But you have brought him to his right mind. You have healed him. You've made him normal. Thank you. Please stay and let's have fellowship. But they don't. When they see the power of Jesus setting this man free, their response is fear and get away from me. We don't want you here. You see, the reason why I think they were afraid is because unlike this possessed man, 
They didn't want change. They preferred their lifestyle. They had it all. They got to do whatever their heart desired. They were content in the way that they were living. And when they see the power of God changing that, transforming that, they're saying, what's that going to do for my business then? If I have this kind of particular business that, that prostitutes other people, if I have this kind of business that's making all of these different idols, and if I'm profiting off of all these kind of stuff, you know, what's that going to do to me? Because I live by other people's sin. I live by other people's darkness. I don't want that changed. See, the change that Jesus brought, brought fear to them. Because they actually wanted to keep what was really destroying their soul and their relationships. You know, it's very, it's, it's, it's again a parallel scene to this rich young ruler coming to Jesus saying, I want change, but not really. You know, I just want the benefits about following Jesus so that I can go to heaven, but don't change anything about me. And then what do we see about this rich young ruler? It says, when Jesus says, sell everything and then come follow me so that you can experience true change, you can experience true life-givingness, the thing that you are missing. What did it say? It said, then the rich young ruler hung his head and walked away sad, left. Because he didn't want to let go. We see the same thing with these people. They see the change that Jesus can bring and they look at it and they say, no, they hang their heads and say, you leave because we want to keep the things that we love. We don't want to be uncomfortable with that which brings us comfort. So Jesus doesn't force it on them. He obliges. And Jesus begins to leave. But as he's leaving, the possessed man runs to Jesus and says, Don't leave me here. I want to go with you. See, his question is very different than Mark's. His reaction is very different than Mark. Mark, he asked for the benefit about following Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? This man, when he comes to Jesus and he's healed by him, says, I just want you, Jesus. He doesn't say, I want the benefits that you offer or set me free from other stuff or can you heal my other family members. He says, I just want you. Where you go, I will go. Where you are, I want to be. He says, I just want you, Jesus. You know, I wonder what the church would look like if many more of us responded like this demon-possessed man, desiring Jesus more than anything else, more than insisting on, I need to keep this, or you need to give me this, or as long as I get this, I will follow you. This demon-possessed man is, as long as I have Jesus, because I see that you transform me. You fulfill me. You give me life. You know, a lot of us as Christians, we carry the same appearance as the rich young ruler. We seek a comfort faith. We want to keep what we have. We don't want anything to change. We want to pursue our own stuff. But then at the same time, we want just the benefits that Jesus offers. And we insist that our desires are good even when it still leaves us hungering for more. 
But notice Jesus' answer to this demon-possessed man, which again is surprising. Rather than having open arms saying, yes, come with me. Yes, that is why I come so that you can be close with me and we can walk together. What he does is a crazy kind of direction, uh, directive. He says to this guy who just was healed and who had just had a very short interaction with Jesus. He says, no, you're not coming with me. You stay and share your story with everyone here. Talk about being put out of your comfort zone, right? He's saying, Jesus, do you know all the people here in the Decapolis? They hate me. They're the ones that chained me up. They're the ones that whispered behind my back. They're the ones that gave up on me. They're the ones that cast me out. None of them deserve me to stay here. I don't want to be near them. And in fact, I don't even want to share the good news with them. But Jesus says to him, no, you stay here and you share your story. And his response is amazing. He doesn't complain. He doesn't argue. He doesn't even say, I'm not ready. What am I supposed to do? I don't know anything about this gospel. I don't know where to teach. I don't even have a mentor here. It's the darkest place. Who's going to help me? How do I know if I'm teaching the right thing? He doesn't give any excuse. He just says, okay. He says, share my story. That's all I have. So I will share my story. In a place that seems so dark, so unfruitful, Look what happens. He says, as he does this, many people, it says, become amazed by his story. Now, when Jesus appeared in this town, they were afraid and they kicked him out. But when he shares his story, the people's posture changes. They are amazed at his story. This man trusted in Jesus' directive despite the discomfort that it brought him. And as a result, it changed a city that Jesus was not permitted access to. See, the majority of us are like this old Mark. We are very Christian on the outside. We keep the rules. We keep coming out to church. You know, we do Christian things here and there. But like Mark, we struggle with the same sin, with the same idiosyncrasies over and over and over again. And the cycle of our faith becomes dealing with our always this, like our own relationship with God, our own brokenness that we keep bringing towards him. But Jesus called us to a greater life than just this cyclical pattern that we have in our life of sinning, falling short, being healed again, going back to God, sinning, falling short, being healed again, coming back. He says, you were called for more than this. This is why the Christian life feels so monotonous, so dry, so empty. Because we get stuck in a pattern. But Jesus calls us to this greater life where he says, when you invite me in and you get over yourself and you hear my words over and above your own demons, your own brokenness, and you trust me, despite the discomfort that it might bring you. 
Jesus brings life transformation. At some point, this happened for Mark. Despite his cyclical pattern of failure, of walking away from Jesus, at some point he got it. And he says, I will learn how to take in the discomfort that sometimes that's, that's brought. Rather than complain, rather than argue, rather than just saying it's a, impossible or nothing's going to change or it doesn't make sense, to accept it just like the chained, demon-possessed man. And by doing so, not only is his life changed and transformed, but becomes a change and transformative agent, the people that are around him. See, brothers and sisters, sometimes God makes us uncomfortable because he's trying to do any of the following things. Trying to have us unlearn some old ways of thinking or behaving. He makes us uncomfortable at times because he's trying to help us to stretch us into a new area of increased effectiveness. Sometimes he puts us in uncomfortable situations because he's trying to uncover an ungodly character trait in us that he wants to transform. He puts us in uncomfortable spaces because he wants to raise our sights beyond ourselves so that we can see others in need. He places us in uncomfortable situations because he wants to push us to become someone more capable of greater responsibility. He puts us in uncomfortable situations because he wants to invite us to be an effective agent in spiritual warfare for his kingdom. Brothers and sisters, let's not underrate the value, the power, the effectiveness of being uncomfortable in our life. As God's spirit leads us, let's trust him. Let's hold to it. And let's walk so that we can experience his victory, his power, his transformation over our life. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you so much for blessing us with this morning. Thank you so much for your word. And I ask, Father, Lord, may your spirit convict us today. I pray, Father, that the same thing that you've been inviting us to and you've always been laying on our hearts and saying, this is where I want you to be. Father, rather than continually rejecting it, rather than focusing on our failures, rather than just settling, Father Lord, with our just being comfortable, I pray, Father, will you break that pattern in Jesus' name? And I ask that instead, Lord, May we hold to your word. May we in faith follow you. And as we do, Father, may we see the transformative power that you bring in our own hearts, in our own lives, in our own mindset, how you transform our perspective, how you transform how we look at things, how we transform how we look at ourselves, and how we transform and how we understand your work in our life. Father, Lord, will you set us free? Will you release us from, your, from our chains? May we experience the work of your spirit in our life. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you both now and forever. Amen.